Welcome to season two, the Acosta Institute podcast. In this season, we curated interviews with nine educators, community leaders, and practitioners who use their deep understanding of trauma to create conditions for collective thriving. We call them wounded healers, a concept that finds its roots in both Carl Jung's work and Greek mythology. For Jung, the wounded healer represented the sensitivity and understanding of one's own wounds and how this informs helping others to heal and transform. In this interview, we sit with Dr. Jen Gowers, educator, school leader, and co-founder of CoPlanet, an educational consultancy. My current role is senior director of schools for Bria. When I was 19, I was in undergrad at the University of Wisconsin, and I was a dance major, and I loved it. My mother was a dancer. She was a dance teacher. Um, I definitely thought that's what I was going to do. And I was, I was really, like, relishing that experience. And, you know, you need to take electives. And I took sociology, and we read the text Savage Inequalities. Uh, it was just a, a life-changing moment because it was evident that there's such a crisis in American public education and there's such deep inequity for young people. And it was also evident that if enough folks were working together in solidarity to make a change there, that our entire society and world could be better for young people. It just seemed obvious then that I needed to switch. And I guess it was a calling to switch. So I I had some skills in teaching because as a dancer, you are often asked to demonstrate or to teach younger kids. Uh, And my mom had a little studio in our little rural community in Illinois, which was incredibly special and just celebrated its 75th year. So it was not foreign to me. And I felt like I would be able to be a teacher. That would be like a good entry point. But the goal was always, how can I, with others, make the most powerful, positive impact on American public education. So I started out as a teacher. I studied elementary education at Madison and then worked at a youth camp that summer where I was working with young women. And then the director said, I really see you working with adolescent women. And I thought, oh God, no, no, thank you. And then loved it because they talk about everything and they ask you about sex and God and what it all means. And And then you realize it's such a privilege to be in someone's life at that time. And you get really grateful for the people who were in your life at that time. And so then I ended up going to get my master's in secondary education and I actually taught high school. So I taught at Banana Kelly in the Bronx um, and I got to loop with my students through ninth, 10th and 11th grade. So I ended up teaching juniors um, when I thought I was going to be teaching little ones. And that was incredibly special. And then I worked as a literacy specialist helping kids who like struggle to read. And then as a consultant with a variety of schools around Manhattan and Brooklyn and the Bronx. And then I started working for charter schools. And that was a big shift for me because when I first started in education, I was of the belief that charter schools were problematic for public education, which I can understand that argument still. And I had it myself at one time, but moving from the Department of Education to charter Uh, was very liberating because there is less bureaucracy and more opportunity to make change more rapidly. There are less barriers 
in many ways, and they're still public schools. I worked for New Visions first, which has like 150 public schools and a handful of charter schools. And that was really cool because I think it was really true to the charter model. Whenever you hit on anything that worked, your job was to share it with the public school. So it was a like real incubator or pilot opportunity for that, which was inspiring because it had you know, sort of massive impact. We were allowed to do things maybe slightly more innovatively or more quickly. And then we were able to share them to help a whole lot of schools. So the scale of that was really exciting to me. So then um, worked at a small nonprofit uh, at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine, which I loved. My daughter goes to school there now. That was incredible. And then now working as a, a senior director um, at the Bria Network. So my job is basically managing and supporting principals, which is a total honor because principals are incredible people. And so to be the person that, you know, they turn to when they're they're struggling or when they want to share their greatness is an incredible gift. So I've always just looked for opportunities that had, that met that criteria in my mind to have, you know, the broadest, most positive and most powerful impact on American public education. So that's been the journey. I found when starting out, the most powerful way to look at it was to figure out like, where can my particular strengths meet the needs and challenges of this particular moment? And that's really served me well throughout my career. And I think it is one of the best ways to prepare other educators and other leaders, you know, just that whole concept of like stand in your greatness because your greatness is so much bigger and more powerful than the gap could ever be. There's poverty, there's injustice, there's, you know, people pretending that the meritocracy is real. There's like young people who are trying to forge amazing lives for themselves and don't have anywhere near the opportunities of their peers in more well-funded public schools or in private schools, which like that isn't, you know, it's, there's also just kids who are like not even part of this realm who like have access to unbelievable, you know, so The issues are race inequality, gender inequality, poverty, class. Like it's, it's really just endless. And yet there are unbelievable young people and families and communities who have beauty and light and goodness and power. And it's amazing. Right. And yet don't always have the access that they need. Haven't had maybe the schools don't attract the best teachers, right? Like it's not always a situation where like the best leaders and the best teachers are drawn to come and say like, how do we, how do we work together to uplift and honor what's already amazing about this community and make sure that any, you know, access that is not currently present, you know, can become present. I love Rumi and I love his quote slash poem that the wound is the place where the light enters you. And it dovetails for me with that incredible philosophy of wabi-sabi, right? That like redraw your scars in gold. They're the most beautiful parts, you know? They're not just things that happen that are unfortunate that you have to like shove away. It's like this is filled with power, filled with potential, filled with opportunity. Like all the places where you're broken personally, 
or as a school or as a society, those are the opportunities that you can take to actually leverage the greatness of the people who are in the community, of the people who are serving, of everyone to make something far more amazing. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to start with perfection. You can just start right where you are. Like that's true as a person and that's true as a school and that's true as a society. So even though the needs are overwhelming, there's enough greatness and enough light and enough truth and beauty and goodness and power and dignity, like right where you are, no matter where you are to overcome or to meet any needs. I think you have to be kind and direct and honest and actually love people. Like there's no way around it, right? Like I have to be honest about who I am. Like I show up at age 24 to teach high school in the Bronx and I'm the whitest woman in the world, right? And I just have to be fully transparent about like, this is who I am. This is like what I'm bringing. I've got a lot that I know. I've got a lot that I don't know. I've got a lot of unlearning to do myself. And you just try to be as gentle as possible with the young people and with yourself as you like engage in that process, right? Like I'm here. I can't wait to know you, each of you individually so deeply I want you to know that like who you are as a person is infinitely more important to me than anything you will accomplish, right? You just have worth and dignity right here, right now. And so do I. And so we are going to risk. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to talk openly and honestly about real things. Like I was in English educator, right? So you get the great privilege of talking about what does it mean to be human, right? What does it mean to show up? So I guess in some ways, like it may, maybe it would have been harder if I was a math teacher. It's really hard to say, but like you can integrate healing work in an ELA classroom so <laughs> transparently because that's what literature is about. That's what language is about, right? Like how can you use language? How can you read and write and speak and listen and allow that to open any door that you want to in your life, right? How do you get, how do we work together so that you can get so good at that? And it can become so authentic to you and still be the fullness of you, who you are, but leverage those capacities to be and do anything that you want to be and do in this world. And then how can we together discuss and crack open, you know, great literature and by great literature, I mean, as many voices as you can get into the syllabus because multiple perspectives are so important, right? Like young people have to know that people who look and think like them are represented in what they're learning about. And they have to learn and read about experiences and people who are nothing like them, right? Because that's how we get empathetic and that's how we grow and become more expansive as beings. So it all has to be included and we have to just hold those things in tension and be honest about when those things are difficult. I feel like talking about the fullness of people and humanity is part of education, and it's certainly part of language and literacy. 
am a big believer in John Dewey, right? He matters a lot to me. He was a, he was a philosopher in like the early 1900s, late 1800s. And one of his major beliefs was that we have to want for all young people what we would want for our own child because anything else is narrow and unlovely and left unchecked destroys our democracy. So the goal always has to be, is this a place where like I would send my child? And if not, then it's like, what do we have to unlearn? What do we have to weed out? What is so problematic here that like I wouldn't entrust my own child because that's the litmus test, right? So, I mean, I want for her a place where she feels free to be herself, where she feels nourished, where she feels seen and valued and where her dignity is honored. And I hope that she can learn about things that she's curious about. I know there's things she's just going to have to learn because she, because that's the way that our world currently works. Right. And she, but I want her to be as well-rounded as possible and to experience, you know, a variety of, of subjects, but more than anything, I want her to feel valued and worthy and lifted up. And I want the young people around her to feel the same and to be as diverse as possible. I truly believe that our diversity is our strength and that that's healing and uplifting and wonderful for everyone. Like that's what's great about America, right? Like you get so many perspectives. And so if, because I want her to have a good education and our system is so messed up, I put her in a school that's mainly white, or I put her in a gifted and talented program because she tests into it, right? Like then she's in this bubble where she's like traveling through school, but not actually interacting with like a variety of young people and peers. And that's where the richness happens, right? People getting to know her and her getting to know people and her knowing people, you know, of, you know, all kinds of gender, gender identity and from a lot of different class backgrounds and a lot of different racial makeups. And like, that is, that's how we heal, right? We get in dialogue with one another, become friends with one another. We actually truly love one another because we know one another. We've listened to one another. Um, I don't think we can, I I can't, like, she can't have that experience if she's not around people who are different from her. To the detriment of Banana Kelly's ability to be a school with good standing, our principal decided we would be a suspension site for the Bronx. Like, any kid that had anything going on that, like, they got kicked out of their school could come to our school, right? Um, I think of, like, City as School downtown that my friend Carl, also in Co-Planet, like, and Renee work at, right? Like, they're like pioneers of restorative justice work, right? Like they've been doing this a long time, like, and they do it first by saying, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, you're welcome at this school. And then they adjust the curriculum and the pedagogy for young people, right? Like at City As, like kids are doing little dissertations to graduate, you know, like they're, it's powerful. It's different. It's alternative, but it's, it's amazing. So it can, it can run the gamut from like the school is designed in a way that's, so thoughtful and healing and restorative, or there can be an element of the day like advisory, which was what happened at Banana Kelly and happens at a lot of schools, which is just students are in small mixed groups or um, not so mixed groups, right? Affinity groups are really important too. Um, People do it a lot of different ways, but like there's a time often at the start of the day or like right before lunch or at the end of the day where we just talk about what's going on in our individual lives or in our societal life, you know, because there just has to be a space for that for young people. I also think social workers are the most unbelievable gift to schools and the most like unsung heroes of schools because they've also been doing that work for time immemorial, right? It's like not new. It's like there are people 
who've dedicated their professional lives to making sure that they can specifically work on healing young people um, because we're aware of what young people bring. But it's like there are also subjects like English, like I said, where you can just work in the chance to talk about it, right? Like um, I remember when I was teaching and it would like Trayvon Martin, young people were really upset because they're like, I always wear a hoodie to school or I always wear a big coat to school, you know, and we just sort of unpacked like, you know, there was a lot of like miss. I do this intentionally to look bigger or to look tough or to look hard. So like I'm not bothered on my walk to school so I can get to school in peace, right? Or this is just like a style and like how unbelievably unjust that like, you know, I just feel so unseen or I feel so angry or I feel so hurt or like it just feels like there's no progress in this regard, you know? And I feel like there has to be a space where like young people can say that to the adults in their lives and to be able to say like, well, you know, some schools are really wonderful about like, well, what are we going to do about it? And then actually organize, you know, show them community organizing and show them opportunities for like where their voice can be part of that. Um, or even give them the space to write about it. Or the young people that I worked with, we like published a small book through this incredible organization called Student Press Initiative. And they just get to say what's really on their mind and then have a reading, you know, in like a Barnes and Noble or in the cafeteria or in a like public space, you know, to just, yes, hone all those skills we're talking about. So when they leave, they feel like they can do anything that they want because they have the skills that they need, but also just so they know how important their voice is. Like, I think the single most empowering thing we can do for a young person is really just listen to them, you know, in a small scale and in a large scale. never underestimate the power of good therapy. I had an amazing therapist in my twenties, the traumas that you have had, making sure that you unpack them enough that you don't replicate them or that you don't stay stuck in them is so important. And then making sure that you just have enough light in your life. You know, for me, that means meditation and being a vegetarian and making enough time with glory and Kobe and like the friends and family that I love so much, but it's also like forgiving yourself and trying to find reconciliation wherever it's possible. Like, are there people I have hurt? Are there people who've hurt me? How do I like kindly and directly confront that head on and see if we can find a way through that? Because that that's one thing I know for sure. Like the way out is through, like you, I, I haven't had anything in my life, any relationship or any event in my life that I've been able to say, like, I don't have healing about it until I feel like I've gone through the trauma, either independently with a therapist, independently in my own, like meditative, you know, spiritual practice or directly with the person if it's possible. Right. And I think that that works on a societal level, too. I think you have to just go right into it. You're, we're not going to get anywhere if we look away from it. Right. So it's got to be like with a full, a heart full of love and kindness and honesty. I want to enter into this dialogue about this horrific thing. And then we get to the space of the wabi sabi and the wound is where the light enters. Right. We, we paint those cracks over with gold because we've really found a way through them. Thank you for listening to season two. We invite you to reflect on the many ways in which you are 
a wounded healer yourself. We want to thank Paper Monday for helping us curate these interviews and the photographs that accompany them. We want to thank DK and Joe Barat for the sound engineering. And thank Maria Tan at the House of Thriving for co-producing this season. Stay tuned.